It is the birth of Jesus Christ. It is the New Testament. And this is a fascinating look at that today as we begin our journey in the last part of the Bible. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Bible from cover to cover. Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And it's very exciting today. We'll talk about it. Chapter 1 in about five minutes time. Right now, Corey is here with Ryan. Corey? There is a symbol involved in Matthew chapter 3 when it comes to Jesus's baptism. And we're going to be talking about that today. Ryan? Today, my segment is all about Joseph. But I'm not just talking about Mary's husband, but all of the Josephs in the Bible. All right, very good. It's it's excellent. Uh, Janice, what did you do? Today, just called a unique birth. All right, that is excellent. Get your Bible guide out. Turn to today's passage because this is fascinating. If you don't know how to get one, then, you know, why not? Because we're going to tell you how in just a minute. But let's look at what God said. Matthew 1. 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It is time for the New Testament. This happens 400 years after the Old Testament was finished and completed. Silence has been in the times, and we read from Matthew. Now, Matthew was not the first gospel written. We believe Mark was, but Matthew 1, 2, 3, and 4 is how we read today. That's how the book of the Bible starts off. And the book of Matthew is the perfect link between the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Bible. It appears to be written for and from a Jewish perspective, explaining that what happened during Jesus' time and showing that he was Messiah promised in the Old Testament. Many of the Old Testament prophets had spoken of the coming Messiah. I mean, it was expected that the Messiah would rule the world. But you know what? Sin still needed to be dealt with. The law of Moses described and uncovered sin, 
but could not complete the job of changing the human heart to avoid sin. Well, Jesus Christ spoke about the law explaining that sin begins in the heart rather than the physical action alone. He spoke in different styles and he performed miracles to show who he was. I mean, ultimately these teachings and bold corrections by Jesus were offensive to the religious leaders. And as a result, Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross according to the will of God. That's exactly what God decided to do. So this is fascinating. What, what an interesting story as we read in Matthew. Uh, I like to call this the Christmas story, but the New Testament, there's one page in your Bible that should be torn out. There's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. Tear the New Testament page out because it's one book. So tear that one out and then go from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Matthew is the ancestors of Messiah. Jesus, the explanation of his genealogies, and then the birth of Jesus Christ. Chapter two is the visitors from the east. We hear about that. Then the escape to Egypt and the return to Nazareth. Chapter three is John the Baptist prepares the way and the baptism of Jesus Christ is at the end of chapter three. This is fascinating. And we are studying verses 18 to 25 today. I call this the new covenant because it's very, very important. Father, I pray today as we look at the newness of this word. It's an ancient book, but it's new. And this new covenant applies to us today. Help us to hear your word and help us to see Jesus Christ as Lord. In the wonderful name of Yeshua HaMashiach, this is what we ask. And we all said together, amen and amen. Now. As we look at verse 18, this gets really interesting. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as followers, or as follows, I should say. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. It was a child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, because he was a good man, he was minded to put her away secretly, quietly. Now watch this, verse 20. But while he thought about these things, and I'm sure he, was, he felt betrayed and everything else, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name J-E-S-U-S, Jesus, or Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. That is fascinating, I'm telling you, this is amazing. Now, Joseph was a good man. We don't hear about Joseph. We always hear about Mary. But Joseph was a great man, not wanting to make an example of Mary. Justice is not exposure. <laughs> I mean, think about this. Doing just is not exposing. Justice is not exposure, but compassion and mercy. You know, I just need to tell you this. There's a whack of people 
We're going we're gonna to make this public to the media. We're going to tell them what they did 30 years ago, and we're going to embarrass them and get money out of them. That's not justice. Not at all. Not even close to justice. Justice is wrapped around mercy and compassion. True justice, justice of the Lord. And we need to understand that because there's a lot of people who are running around looking for people to nail to get money out of them. Looking for people to nail. Now, I'm not suggesting that they did anything great. They may have done horrible things. But beloved, all of us have sinned. Everyone has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Mankind is not good to himself. He's horrible to himself. We need to keep that in mind. Okay, let's go on. Chapter 1, verse 22. So all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. That's amazing. God with us is the name that best describes Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord, capital L-O-R-D, and he lives within us. This is awesome. Jesus Christ lives within us. We invite his presence into our life. We make him Lord of our life, and his Holy Spirit comes inside of us, teaches us, and trains us. And I want to tell you something. That's not an easy thing. For me, that's really hard. But the Holy Spirit, fortunately, is bigger than my personal heart. And he transforms my heart and changes me as he does yours. Isn't that great? That is awesome. Now let's go on to verse 24 because this is good. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her. He did not sleep with her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Emmanuel or Salvation or Yeshua or Jesus. That's really important. Joseph did what the Lord commanded him to do. That's what made him great. You see, obedience is the best way to serve God. I remember being in the church and uh, we had a youth rally and these kids came up to me and two of the gentlemen said, well, we just want the will of God in our life. We just want the will of God. We just, you know, we really have to have the will of God. I said, well, that's great, you know, and began to talk with them a little bit privately. And I said, well, uh, let me ask you a question about your life and see how things are going and I'll pray with you. And, you know, do you choose your right friends? And uh, do you still go to the bar? And do you, do you still get drunk? And do you still joke about not things that are cool and all that? You know, the will of God is a lifestyle. And that lifestyle is following Jesus Christ, following the Lord. That's why Jesus came. He came so that we could follow him. And I've taken him up on that. And I want to encourage you to do so as well. We live the way that God wants us to live. That's somebody who is a true believer in Jesus Christ. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to 
mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Our assigned reading in the discovery guide for today covers Matthew chapter one through three. And in the very end of Matthew chapter three, we get a record of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And the scriptures let us know that uh, when Jesus came up out of the water, it w- he, he saw as if the heavens were open and the spirit of God descending like a dove on him. So that phrase, like a dove, is what we are going to be taking a look at today. We're going to be looking at doves in their symbolism in the Old and New Testament, as well as the contemporary culture of that day, and you know what it meant and how they were used in the culture. Take a look. The text of the Bible, along with the ancient physical remains of the people of Israel and Judah, tell of an interesting relationship with doves and pigeons. The symbolism of the dove has been passed down to us today mainly through Christianity, as representing the sacred, specifically the Holy Spirit. This imagery begins with the very practical use of the dove by Noah in Genesis 8. Noah uses what became a tried-and-true sailor's practice, the releasing of a dove to help locate land. Noah's dove, with its iconic olive branch, is still an enduring symbol of peace. Its context as a messenger of God's peace with Noah's family helps explain its association with the Spirit of God. This symbolism became rooted deeply within Judaism, so that by the time of Jesus, John the Baptist claimed to see the Holy Spirit descending in bodily form like a dove onto Jesus. Because of this, the dove, along with its watery friend the fish for its own reasons, became enduring early Christian symbols. Looking back into the Hebrew scriptures, Judaism had come to understand the reference to the Spirit of God hovering over the primordial waters in Genesis 1 verse 2 to be connected to the hovering or flying of a dove. The mournful cooing sounds of doves and pigeons, as well as their flight and nesting patterns, also find biblical usage in the prophets. And to the famous lovers of Song of Songs, Dove proved a faithful pet name. Practically speaking, doves were not all pet names and symbols. They were an integral part of the sacrificial worship of God. Doves and pigeons were acceptable burnt offerings and could stand in the place of a more expensive sin offering. We see this in practice with Mary and Joseph's sacrifice after Jesus' birth. They brought two doves, one replacing a more expensive lamb for their sin offering, and one as the prescribed burnt offering. This sacrificial usage is backed up by the archaeological discovery of dovecote towers in and around Jerusalem, referred to as columbaria. There have been three tower ruins explored in the Kidron Valley quite close to the Temple Mount. There have been 40 discovered around Jerusalem and hundreds in the rest of Israel. The Kidron Valley towers no doubt service the dove sellers whom Jesus saw fit to drive out of the temple complex. Most of the remaining columbaria date to the Hellenistic and early Roman periods, which is not surprising given the rich tradition of dove rearing in Greek society. Dove-raising towers had features to limit predator access and, with their niches, could house thousands of birds. But most of the dovecotes in Israel were actually carved into underground, man-made limestone caves. These were clearly more durable than their tower counterparts. And rather than providing religious sacrifices, these columbaria housed doves that were raised for their meat and their droppings, which proved 
a valuable fertilizer. So just a glimpse into the culture and, you know, a, a, a quick breeze through some of the scriptures that are related to doves in the Bible, hopefully helping you understand on a deeper level what is going on here in Matthew chapter three. There's a lot of symbols used in the Bible related to the time of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was the perfect time for Jesus Christ to come and the perfect time for him to be here. So I find that fascinating. Ryan, you're up, buddy. All right. Well, in today's reading, we're introduced to a man named Joseph, and he was the husband of Mary and legal father of Jesus. And my segment today is in part about him, but it's also about all of the Josephs in the Bible. And by my count, there are 14 men in the Bible with this name. And the three most well-known to us is the Joseph we read about in the last several chapters of Genesis, Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Joseph of Arimathea. But I'm sure you're wondering who the 11 others were. So let's go. Joseph. It's a name that means may the Lord add more sons. And though some are more well-known than others, the fact is there are some 14 Josephs named in scripture. The Bible's first and most famous of the Old Testament Josephs was the 11th born son of the patriarch Jacob. But as the firstborn son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, Joseph was naturally the favored son of his father. This favoritism ultimately drove his envious brothers into selling him into Egyptian slavery. But what Satan meant for evil, God turned to good. For God had instilled in Joseph the divine gift of interpretation. This, coupled with his unwavering faithfulness to God, eventually provided him the opportunity to become a very powerful leader in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. Through the providence of God, this position of authority allowed Joseph to provide a home in Egypt for his estranged family, saving them from starvation and ultimately preserving the messianic line. Significantly, it would be yet another Joseph who would be intimately involved in the Messiah's birth. And even though not a great deal is known about him, as the legal father of Jesus Christ and Mary's husband, he is easily the most well-known of the New Testament Josephs and probably of all scripture. Not only did he, as a son of David, provide Jesus the legal right to the throne, but as a good and godly man, his role as Jesus' father was critical. And just as this Joseph was intimately involved in Jesus' birth and early development, so too would it be yet another Joseph who was intimately involved in his death and burial. Considered to be the third most famous Joseph of the Bible, Joseph of Arimathea was at first a secret disciple of Jesus. Indeed, as an honored member of the Sanhedrin, his exposure as a follower of the way would most likely end his illustrious career. But his love for the Lord's Christ outweighed his religious status, and in the end went full disclosure as he courageously took the body of Jesus and buried it in his own tomb. Besides these three, there are many other Josephs in the Bible, though none of them is well known. For example, in Numbers chapter 13, one of the twelve chosen Israelite spies is Ilgal, whose father's name is Joseph. And according to 1 Chronicles 25, Joseph was also the name of the son of the renowned musician Asaph. Again, in Ezra 10, we read of another Joseph, this one a descendant of Binuai. And in Nehemiah 12, there is a Joseph who is the head of the priestly family of Shechaniah. There are also a handful of Josephs in the New Testament as well. In fact, one of them was Jesus' own brother. And Matthew and Mark name yet another Joseph, but this one unrelated to Jesus. 
Again we read that after Christ's ascension, two men were nominated to replace Judas, Matthias and Joseph. Also in Acts 4, we read of a Levite from Cyprus named Joseph, whom the apostles affectionately called Barnabas. In addition to these, there are three men within Mary's husband Joseph's genealogy who were also named Joseph. These include Joseph the son of Mattathias, Joseph the son of Judah, and Joseph the son of Jonam. So I hope that you enjoyed that very brief survey of all the Josephs of the Bible, and I hope that you'll take some time to really dig into each of these men's accounts on your own. Now, of course, for some of them, their name is all that we have, but what the Bible does tell us is very significant. For example, as I showed in the segment, it's notable that it was a Joseph who saved the nation of Israel from starvation and ultimately preserved the Messianic line. And then it would be another Joseph who would be intimately involved in Jesus Christ's physical birth and growth, and yet another Joseph who would be intimately involved in his burial arrangements. And just for the record, Jesus didn't stay there in the tomb. He rose again on the third day. That we can be absolutely sure of. So make no mistake, he is alive and he is well and he is coming back very soon. But this time he's not coming as a sacrifice for the world, but to rule the world as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So if you haven't put your trust in Jesus and his work on the cross, then I implore you to do it now. Do it while he can be found in this time of grace. There's no time to waste. Yeah, there, and let me tell you, there's no time to waste. We need to come to know Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you as well to do it now and say, Father, close your eyes and say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe he was the Son of God and he is the Son of God. And I believe he died on the cross and he rose again. And I believe if we make him Lord of our lives, you will take our sin away from us. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a very important prayer, and uh, you should really, really do that. Very good. Thank you, Ryan. Janice? And you know the truth is that we're not promised tomorrow, are we? A lot of times we'll think, oh, well, I'll do that tomorrow, or I'll start that tomorrow. But the truth is we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So if you feel that tugging in your heart, don't wait. Don't wait another second. Don't wait till tomorrow because we're not promised that day. Now, before I start my segment, I do want to say that I was listening in your teaching and you were talking about a page that shouldn't be in the Bible. And you were saying, just rip it out. Now, I know that you didn't mean to literally, because there are people that take things very literally when you say them, that you didn't mean that everybody should rip that page out that separates the Old and the New Testament. What you meant was that it's one book altogether. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Absolutely, absolutely. correct. Because there's lots of pages at the beginning, you know, that we write our names on, but we wouldn't want to rip those out either, even though they're there. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but I just, I didn't want anybody to be upset by that, 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 you know, Rod is saying you should just rip it out and, and, and be, I, I love books. I am of the older generation. Well, and you know, that's not even a fair statement. There's so many in the, in this generation that feel the same way that I do about books. I, I love them. I love to feel their pages. I love it when it's brand new and it has that new smell. And, and for me to, to rip a page out of a, a, a book would be terrible. So I just wanted to clear that up. I didn't want anybody to be feeling badly about that. He didn't mean that in that way. He just meant, let's take the word of God as the whole word of God. There are some people that 
think that the Old Testament is completely irrelevant because it's got the word old in front of it, and that the New Testament is the only book of the Bible that we need to pay attention to. And if that's what you're thinking, you couldn't be farther from the truth. You really need to take the whole Word of God into consideration from beginning to end. And and so I just wanted to encourage you with that little bit today. Now, what I wanted to talk about was, of course, this unique birth. And that's the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And that's exactly who we believe Him to be, fully God, fully man. And in this account of Matthew, we see this genealogy of Jesus Christ here. And it's very interesting. And I know that Ryan has done segments um, on these on this genealogy, and, and there's a lot of really wonderful things written in it. There are women that are included in this genealogy, and there are, there are babies born here in this genealogy that were absolute miracles of God that we can talk about. But the very big difference here is that our Lord Jesus Christ was very, very different. Uh, Verse 16, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And then very separately, Matthew begins, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. And then you have this beautiful illustration of how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. So even though several of those listed were conceived by miracles, only Jesus was born of a virgin. And this was planned before the creation of the world. God already had a plan in mind for you and for me to be able to be reconciled back to him through this precious gift of his son. And Matthew is uh, a book that's written really to the Hebrews. And so they put the genealogy in there so they could see that it's, oh, this is from the line of Aaron. I get it. And uh, they they put Jesus in the place, uh, you know, beginning with verse 14, mm-hmm. the rest of it. And so that we hear and understand what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And then through this, you're going to see Isaiah quoted frequently. Yes. In the book of Matthew, you're going to see a lot of Old Testament yes. quotations because the prophets are spoken of here. That's right. And, and, and so that you're not confused too, if this is the first time you're going through the Bible, you see here um, that he's, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. Again, I just want to remind you briefly of our Eastern time, Eastern 3.30 Eastern time for the prayer meeting. The prayer meeting is excellent. We have many viewers from Facebook and YouTube and Bible Discovery TV will pray for your needs and the needs of the world. Today, we need to pray. Remember, we're talking about obedience. So we need to pray that way. Lord, I need to become obedient to you. Holy Spirit, please help me in my life. In Jesus' name, the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, amen.